This program is not about suicide. If you or someone you know needs immediate assistance with suicidal ideation or depression, please contact your local 24-7 crisis support service. If you're in Australia, try Lifeline on 13 11 14, Kids Helpline on 1800 55 1800 or the other services listed on our website at wheelercentre.com slash betteroffdead. There is no death. There's only me, me, me who's dying. It's my birthday tomorrow. I'm 48. Happy birthday. Thank you. What do you get a woman who's yes, losing he's got nebutal. <laughs> he's got nebutal. Uh, you know what? You give her humour. Thank you. Okay. Um, invaluable. This is Liz. She's dying of cancer. Liz wants to have a choice about how she dies, but in Australia, there is no law for assisted dying. So the only way she can have any say over her fate is to live and die outside the law. What's it like to live in fear that your death may incriminate the ones you love? That the only solution is to die alone? Welcome to Liz's world. The fear of a bad death. Let's not make bad laws. And you'll go to sleep. Right. Denying them another option. This leaves me no choice. Perfect combination of eugenic impulse. This evaluation of We lives. just don't talk about it. Against the invasion we of death. We play the game. I felt judged. It was over. People want to know. I know they can't control the me. The police are obliged to charge me. Away. What the hell can you do? Oh, murder, manslaughter. Denying them another option. Don't do this lightly. You're listening to Better Off Dead. My name is Andrew Denton, I live in Sydney, Australia, and I want to find out why, in my country, good people are being forced to die bad deaths, and why we can't have a law to help them instead. How did Liz come into my life? My producer Bronwyn had gone to one of Philip Nitschke's Exit International workshops in Sydney to find some people who could explain to us why they were seeking help to die. I hadn't introduced myself to Liz, but I was speaking to this man. We were talking about pain. And I remember it very, very clearly. This woman turned around and she said, they can't control your pain. Let me tell you, I've been there. When I first met Liz, she looked nothing like a woman who was dying. Corporate stylish, whip smart and full of energy, Liz looked every bit the business high flyer she is. When I suggested that she might in fact be a cancer charlatan, she let out one of her trademark huge laughs. But Liz is no charlatan. Her cancer is very real and very rare. I have 1% of the world's diagnosis of cancer is neuroendocrine, and I had a 1% version of it. It's a neuroendocrine carcinoma, which is the... Um, it's, it's not just a cancer, it's a carcinoma. In, a, in actual terms, though, what does that mean? It means that it's, it's an Ill, a, a non-well-defined cancer and they can't control it. They don't know how it behaves, but more than likely it was going to behave, continue to behave badly. You're an, even an overachiever in cancer. <laughs> I agree. I agree. <laughs> I'm here because I'm an overachiever. Yes. 
Liz was told there was no cure and that all treatment would be palliative. To keep her alive, they hit her with everything they had. They blasted her with chemicals, they took to her um, cancer with the knife. So the first one took was a complete abdominal hysterectomy, everything, ovaries, cervix, everything, everything was gone. The list of Liz's surgeries is dizzying. Take a section of small bowel, I had lots of my peritoneum, gallbladder, appendix, half my liver and a little bit... Liz's terminal diagnosis was two years ago. Defying all predictions, not only is she still clinging determinedly to life, she's putting together a business startup to supply cannabis resin for gravely ill people like her. But Liz knows, and the doctors know, the treatment is forestalling the inevitable, a painful death of cancer. So being the kind of woman that she is, Liz has researched ways she could be helped to die. The best solution she discovered lay in Switzerland, where the Dignitas Clinic offers assistance to foreign nationals with a critical need. To apply, she needed the support of a specialist. I said, so I've been researching into Dignitas. You may have heard of that. And he nodded. And I said, I need two doctors to sign off on this. Would you be one of them? And he just sat there and he said, no. And there was a big pregnant pause, at which time I felt like Alice after just drinking the drink me drink. And I was about that big sitting on the chair. And that's when the real patient doctor, I'm the doctor, you're the patient, level of feeling came into the room. And I was figuratively biting my fingernails going, all right, Liz, go on, do it, do it, ask him, ask him. Could I just ask, doctor, why you wouldn't do something like that? because it means I would have failed at my job. It was just that, those words exactly. And so I found that curious that had nothing to do with me. I'm thinking of a word that rhymes with curious, which is furious. I would have felt furious that it was about him at that moment and not me. All right, you're on painkillers, you're in pain, you're detached from your brain anyway, you're scared, You've got cancer, you're going through chemo, um, you're still trying to understand what's going on. You're being told by doctors that, you know, you don't have much longer. And here is a doctor and he invoked his God powers at that time. Who are you? Who, how dare you? That's how I felt. And I, I felt judged, very judged, very judged. And what was the judgment? The judgment was that you would actually consider ending your life, which is actually incorrect judgment. I'm not considering ending my life. Cancer's doing that for me. I don't have the choice in that. I just don't want pain. And you, being the palliative um, expert, can't control it, and yet you want me still to die experiencing it and you judge me because I don't want to do that. Liz knows all about pain because she is one of the unfortunate people for whom even the strongest drugs that palliative care can offer barely touch the sides. 
Ever wondered what it's like to be so doped up on pain relief that you can't even tell people it's not working? And be floating in a psychedelic coloured cube where you can't speak because you've got locked jaw from the drugs. You're, you know that you're writhing around on a plastic sheeted bed. Your hands, they're clenched and you can't talk. You can't talk and you are completely vulnerable and at their mercy. And I was like that for days. The image I get as you were describing that is it was like you were locked in a screen. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah, that's how I felt. And the fear of that, the fear that you fear, they can't, nothing takes that anxiety away. You still have it. And so I think probably when you're in that dying stage, that is exactly what it's like. I've sensed that fear just hearing you and I don't know what I'd be more frightened of, that will this thing ever stop or am I going to die? Mm. Well, even at that point, we still don't want to die. But I remember thinking, surely in modern medicine, modern science, I can't believe I'm actually experiencing this. Blocked by her specialist from applying to Dignitas, but still determined to have a choice about how she dies, Liz turned to Plan B. She joined euthanasia advocacy group Exit International, bought a copy of the Peaceful Pill Handbook, and using that as a guide, ordered the lethal and illegal drug Nembatal online from Mexico. It never arrived. Plan C was to try again, only this time from China. Along with my producer Bromwyn, I'm at Liz's place the day the package arrives. Push and turn, it's, it's sealed, um, so the, the lid's come off okay. Look how much is in here. I've, you're holding a bottle. Is this your first sighting of it, Liz? Yes. Jesus Christ, look, I've already got it on me. That's enough to make me go to sleep. I've just got a little bit on the tip of my finger. That just looks like, I don't know... What, what's that sherbet that we used to get oh, in yeah. the 80s? Liz has asked us to come over because she needs to test the white powder to make sure it's pure enough to kill her. Not a task she wants to face alone. This is ridiculous that governments make me do that. You know, this is really ridiculous. Seriously, guys, come on. We should have a poly here. For Liz, there is extra urgency. Two days earlier, she admitted herself to hospital with severe vomiting. Can you just quickly tell me about, I know you had uh, more scans in hospital. What did they show? Well, um, I've got weeks to live. I just got the news this morning. So. Faced with the prospect of her imminent death, Liz is terrified that the dying will run out of her control and has rung Melbourne doctor Rodney Syme for guidance. In defiance of the law, Rodney has assisted over 100 people with advanced incurable illness to die, most with Nembatal. You could either mix it with something that will sweeten it, or drink it and then follow it with a chaser, something sweet. Yeah, scotch chaser is what I was thinking. Just used to rinse your mouth and get rid of that bitter taste. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. The other thing, Rodney, is because this is affecting my liver and the reason I was hospitalised is I, I, I was uncontrollably, violently vomiting. Mm-hmm. Um, well, if you got anti-emetic. I, I do, but I, I, it broke through. The vomiting broke through the anti-emetic. Even in hospital, they were running out of options. <laughs> it 
if you're going to take that medication, you would want to preload yourself with whatever antiemetic you've got that is working. Yes, and do I take that for a couple of days beforehand, Rodney? Twelve hours would be sufficient. Right, okay. So it doesn't make you sick. That's, that's important to know. This is the end of Liz's life they're talking about. In a reasonable society, this wouldn't be happening as a clandestine conversation on the phone. You can be absolutely confident that it will do what it should do and that you will die very peacefully. As I listen in to Liz's questions, I'm keenly aware that she has a deeper concern than whether or not the Nembatal will work. Can I ask Rodney your... your... Sorry, just give me a minute. Can I ask your opinion about people that you've been with when they have drunk this? You have been with people when they've drunk this? Yes? Yes, I have. Have they had their family with them? Yes. People are very worried that if they have their family with them, that the family will be in some jeopardy. Now, that's completely wrong for a number of reasons. The first one is that nobody knows whether they're with them or not at the time. Who would know? Well, it's it's just that my, you know, I talked to my son about this because, you know, that's one of the things that you do is that you, you talk to people you love and, you, you know, you tell them about what your plans are and um, you know I started thinking about the the people that I would want to be with me I actually feel sorry for them but in one way or another they're either going to be with me when I die peacefully or be with me in a hospice over days weeks and months and, and you die um, badly and I die badly and that's so more what, traumatic what memory do you think they will have if you die badly compared to that which they have yeah okay well? I have to just think of that we have to change the law so that this can be done openly and without all this hoo-ha and secrecy and and uh, so forth. It's uh, it, it shouldn't have to be. It should be something, an option which people can take or not take, depending on their circumstances and beliefs. Um, and it just it should be just that you could take it. You could tell your doctor you, you're going to take it. He knows. He's provided it, and he can be there. And then he just writes a death certificate. That's right. Well, thank you, Rodney. Um, look, the, then I'm going to go ahead and, and we'll test all this. Should we have any issues with it? Can I phone you back, please? Of course you can, anytime. And you would help me out? Absolutely. Thank you very much, Rodney. I wish you all the best. You're a very brave girl. I found it hard to listen into that call and hear the anguish in Liz's voice. As if it's not brutal enough that she is dying and has to plan how to do it in secret, Liz has a 22-year-old son who is due to be married in 10 weeks. Where do you even begin with that conversation? Does Callum know that you have obtained Nembatal? Nope. You're going to tell Oh, he knows I've been... I've talked about it with him, yes, because that's one of the things. I've got to say the websites are going Despite Rodney's assurances, Liz is still deeply afraid of what might happen to anyone who is with her when she dies. Nembatal is an illegal drug. Her nightmare is that her son might be charged with assisting a suicide. Callum's a big, you know, gorgeous-looking boy, gorgeous heart, strapping, and... Uh, 
you know, he's, he's bluff and bluster, you know, oh, mum, you know, don't talk about that. You know, I've seen you, you know, stare down death, blah, 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 and, you know, do all of that. And I, yep, thanks, honey, that's great. But no, really, we do have to talk about this. And, and I said, so me getting it is illegal, but, you know, so what? But you being with me when I take that is apparently illegal. And that's when Callum stopped his bluff and bluster and you could feel the change in the atmosphere of our talking. And he's looking at me and he said, so what? What are we supposed to do? We, we sit there and what we, we're, we're there with you while you drink it and then what, we lock up and go home and sleep in bed knowing that you're dead in your bed and then what, come back the next morning and go, oh, look at that, mum's died and phone the police. And the, the way he described it was pretty much like that. And at the end of it, he had such big tears in his eyes. It's dreadful and there, there's no answer to that. I don't know what the answer to that is. Um, am I being cruel to him by that would be cruel? I think that would be cruel and I, I don't know how to handle that. So here I am, standing in Liz's kitchen on a brilliant, sunny Sydney afternoon, watching as she and Bronwyn carefully test the Nembatal to see if it will kill her. Using a kit Liz bought from Exit, a calculator and scales borrowed from a hairdresser, the powder is measured, weighed, diluted, baked, then weighed again. The process, exhausting and exacting, takes six hours. An afternoon out of the life of a woman with maybe only weeks to live. Frankly, it seems cruel. The only good news, the test is positive. The powder is pure. Now comes a much harder test, when to use it. I ask Liz if she knows. Only when the gate has closed and locked behind me and I am actively dying, that's when I will take it. What the nanny state country that we live in is making me do is take it probably a week or maybe a month earlier if I'm lucky to be able to work when that is out than what I have to. Because you have no professional help or guidance in this? No, no. Only me. Only me. And I have to do my kitchen table medical degree determination of that so but it's the logistics now we've done extraordinarily well with my stress has been relieved again significantly like we know what we've got we've got the pure stuff we know that simply having the means to control her death has given Liz enormous peace of mind. But three days later, I get a call asking me to come round to her place. When I arrive, she's with her brother, Jason. They've spent the morning shopping for coffins. So I've chosen a coffin. I've, we've done all, like, hard stuff today. What was it like to choose a coffin? Yeah, that was a bit strange, wasn't it? The, mm. We went 
to the one at uh, Bondi Junction there and it's just downstairs in a big cavernous um, garage, garage uh, with the $550, the $950, the $4,000, right up to the $90,000 ones. Yeah, I'm sorry to digress, but what is the, does the $90,000 one have a bar? What is it? <laughs> I think it's the wood yeah, and the carving. Those. They didn't have those in stock at the moment. Wow. Yeah. For $90,000, I expect another trip up top. <laughs> Do you mind if I ask what you chose? I chose the second from the bottom, but it just is not important to us. What was more important was, you know, um, the the feeling, the... Uh, the venue, you know, having a little... It is deeply to... weird to be talking about coffin shopping and not for the first time I marvel at this strong woman who seems to have said, OK, death, if you're going to cohabit, these are the rules. But then Liz tells me her news, the real reason she's asked me over, the reason Jason is here too. The prof finally phoned me back this morning, this is after days, finally phoned me back and you could tell in the tone of the voice it was very different. And he said, well, is the lesions are growing enormously fast again, as fast as, if not faster than when we, when we first discovered it. Liz has learnt that there's a real danger of her bowel being blocked by the growing cancer, and that changes everything. Do you know what that means? Well, our feeding tube goes in, and hence my inability to drink anything. Which means no nebutal. No nebutal. And an undignified death in pain. I um, hear something I haven't heard in your voice previously, which is fear. Yeah. Yeah, I'm starting to get fearful. Um, so far, Andrew, I, I'm not fearful of death, still. Not fearful of... I don't want to die, obviously. I'm fearful of the that end road to death when you are actively dying. I'm fearful of that. I know they can't control my pain. Um, I know I've been there enough, I've been in hospital enough. Despite her fear of hospital, Liz has decided to undergo two more 21-day cycles of chemotherapy. At best, this gives her a 50-50 chance of avoiding a bowel obstruction. So just doing the maths here, 42 days, does that get you to your son's wedding? No, it doesn't. And in 42 days, if it's not working, it very easily will block. And if it's not working, that blockage could happen at any time? That's what he said. So that's what alarmed me this morning. Liz is now faced with the terrible calculus of dying. Does she try and hang on till her son's wedding and run the risk that she will suffer the death that she fears? Does she say goodbye to everything she loves and take Nembatal? And if she does, how can she do that without incriminating her family? I can't take it in hospital, no, I know. So I'm going to have to exit hospital. And then where do I go? Do I have to go to a hotel? As I listen to listen Jason talk it through, I sense a rising note of panic in the room. You know, I was kind of strategizing in my head, well, I'd, I'd have all of my medical papers with me just laying very clearly out beside. I'd probably even have, you know, a pack of sleeping pills there. Um, what prescription, you know, with my name written on the front of it. Um, Strategising it down as much as I possibly can. And Jason, why are you smiling? I'm because not smiling. 
you're not, not smiling, smiling, but you're thinking that I'm giving this away. But I'm fucking trying to get a strategy together. I, I agree, but I'm not sure that at this stage we haven't got the strategy together. Once we have the strategy... All right, tell me then, what's the strategy? Having tablets on the sideboard is not necessarily... A good one or a bad one, but it's one that we need to talk about, right? Exactly, I agree. And the tablets are there, you believe, as a mask for what's actually happened. Yeah, and meaning um, I I was strategizing that it would be a full box, let's say, of just something like Stillnox. So it's quite obvious that I haven't gone, you know, that there's only one left in it. Talking that through as a decoy. But... I, once I drink this, I have maybe 60 seconds. Some people fall asleep mid-sentence, 90 seconds maybe, and then I'm, I'm asleep. So are you thinking you're on your own when you drink this? Yes. Well, what do I do? Because there's CCTV in a hotel, isn't there, um, of someone slipping in a room and slipping out. And Again, that fear of what will happen if someone is with her when she dies. When Liz excuses herself to go to the bathroom, I asked Jason what he first thought when she told him about her plan to use Nembatal. Yeah, we've had some interesting discussions about it because I think um, it's a pretty extreme thing. But I've come around to the fact that I support her and I'll do what I can. You say you've come around. What was your first response? You fight. You fight to the death. You don't. You don't give up in any way. I now see that that's not necessarily the smartest, it's not the bravest, it's not the most courageous thing. But if you look at all other options, and that is the option to go through, I'll support her. It's terrible math you have to do. And yet I have spoken with people who firmly believe that Elizabeth's choice is an indication that she does not value her own life. Uh, yeah, I would say that that's um, patently bullshit. Uh, it is not a case of valuing life. It's a case of valuing the, the beauty of life. Life without quality is not life at all. It's a very simple thing. Elizabeth is a real fighter. She's been a fighter in business. She's been a fighter in life. Uh, I'm proud of her. I'm proud of what she's doing. What I wouldn't want is people to go too soon, to take an early option. But it's a fine line between an early option or leaving it one week too late. For Jason, like Liz, there remains a fear about what his involvement might mean. I have a wife, I have a family, uh, I support her. I don't know at this stage where the line is that I cross. Yeah, I'm not going to go very well in jail. So if I was comfortable in my own head as to where we stand, that would be a different matter. But that's what I'm saying. It's, we, it's, there's, there's no real book that you go to that gives you the idea and say, if you inject them, you're guilty. If you watch them drink three bottles of vodka and pass into a coma and die, you're not guilty because you didn't do anything to stop it. If they take Nebutol and you didn't stop them taking it, are you as not guilty as you were not guilty with the three bottles of vodka? That's the, the blurred line that nobody knows. I don't think anybody should die on their own. They should be surrounded by the people who love, it, love them. When Liz rejoins us, something has shifted in her. Her anxiety has given way to anger. Do you know what, guys? 
I think I just made another decision. I think what I've just done is I've crossed the threshold of asking too much. And whenever I started this journey, the thing I was angriest about is that I would have to drink it and be alone. But I should have just held my fucking mouth and just gone, I'll do it. And I'll just do it on my own. And I'll curse the, um, make a few voodoo dolls of bloody some politicians. Um, no, I'll just uh, have to do it on my own. It's a terrible thing that's been demanded of this dying woman and her family. But it's what happens when there is no law to help her. It's probable that no charges will be laid against Callum or Jason for being with her when she dies using an illegal drug. But Liz can't be sure. And why should she even have to ask the question? Why should anyone be forced to die this way? I think back to when we first met and I asked Liz, in a perfect world, how her death would be. So, if I was to have it in an ideal world, way down the track, I'm hoping, I can see myself laying in my bed with my son and my daughter-in-law, my brother and sister-in-law, just around me, maybe have a glass of Moet and um, not prolong it. I don't want to have a meal or anything like that. It's just like, well, we've got to do something. And, uh, and here we go. I love you and goodbye. I imagine holding Callum's hand. I don't think, yeah, I imagine holding Callum's hand and thinking about his birth at my death. That's, that's it. And I'd like it to be peaceful and I'd like it to be without the anxiety of fear of what's going to happen to these people that are with me now. Liz made it to Callum's wedding, where, in her own words, this ex-Logan chick rocked it right. Having fought fiercely against her disease for years, Liz died nearly four months later, while under sedation in palliative care. Liz was just one of a growing number of Australians illegally importing Nembatal. If you'd like to know more, head to the episode page at wheelercentercom slash betteroffdead. Next episode, we're going to meet the man who Liz turned to in her hour of need, Australia's oldest outlaw, Dr Rodney Syme. For the last 20 years, he's been publicly assisting people to die and challenging the law to do something about it. Why would a respectable 80-year-old surgeon run the risk of jail? And why does the law not stop him? Twelve angels from the north Twelve angels from the south Twelve angels from the east Twelve angels from the west Better Off Dead is produced by Andrew Denton and Bronwyn Reid for Thought Fox and the team from the Wheeler Centre. 
Visit wheelercentercom slash betteroffdead to hear the series and subscribe and to learn more about the people and ideas from each episode. Angels shooting from your brow Angels leaping from your mouth Angels lighting on your shoulders East and west, north and south Coming for to carry me away